Welcome back, Rebels. Welcome back. It's time to talk about the topic that we get five million messages a week about, <laughs> and that is money. money. Lovely money. So yeah, so I've been thinking about money this week. I saw um, a post by Daniel Priestley. It was basically talking about Dunbar's Law. And I feel like I haven't heard that phrase in quite a while. And I was like, oh yeah, let me kind of like re kind of like find out what that is. Uh, and Dunbar's Law is basically this idea that you can only have 150 relationships that are kind of like good relationships in your life, like as in like at one time. I think the kind of idea behind it is kind of as we've evolved in kind of our human kind of like groups, we can only actually sustain a society of 150 people that we know. And I think this has been like slightly disproven by different people and there's different people have different numbers. But I thought actually that's a really interesting way to think about instead of how many people can we actually have a connection with on a kind of personal life level, how many kind of clients can we have a relationship with? Because obviously there's only so many that we can actually keep up and actually have proper conversations with and make sure we actually build relationships with these people. And I think that's what's really important as a creative is to make sure that the people you're working with, you always have the potential to build a relationship there because then you can work for them again and again and again. It's not like you're just selling a single product and they've used it once and they'll never come back to you. Then like if you've got a product like that, like you need to think more about the lifetime value of a customer rather than just the one-off, oh, that's easy throwaway. It's so much easier to get a reoccurring customer than it is to find a brand new one. So instead of making it really hard for yourself and constantly having a churn of customers, just find 150 people who could potentially come back to you every single year or use, use your product regularly. Or when you put out a new product, they're excited to buy that rather than trying to find like a new one every time. So basically, so I was thinking, okay, well, if that's the number, so let's, for argument's sake, 150 people is the amount of people that we need as a creative to survive. And I was like, okay, well, we always talk about in this show, like how much is too little to charge for something and how, like, how much should you be charging? And I think that's probably one of our most like DM'd questions that we get in our inbox at Rebels Create. It's, oh, how much should I charge for this? And it's always like a quite a hard answer because it's like, well, who are you? Like, what is the product? Like, do you have an audience already? How much are you currently selling for? All these different things. But I was like, okay, well. Plus, we don't know your industry. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So I think, so what I basically did is I was like, okay, well, let's say for argument's sake, you wanted to make 50 grand a year as a creative. I was looking at what the average salaries are in, in the UK. And the average, salary, the average salary in London was 41 grand. So by going for 50, if you kind of like, after say 20% tax, you land on about 41 grand there. Um, we've exactly 40 but we'll go 41 for argument's sake so basically broke that down in terms of like well how much would that be per customer so if you had 150 customers and you were charged and you wanted to make 50 grand a year that would be 333 pounds per customer so that number instantly there if you're selling anything for under that and you're only and you're not selling more than one a year to that person so if you release prints for example and someone only buys one off you every year, then you need to be charging 333. Otherwise, you're not going to be able to actually do this as a profession. And then it's kind of breaking it down. So, okay, well, this is, I need to earn 333 pounds at least a year to sustain this. So how can I do that? So it can either be one product that you sell to them once a year, or you could break that down to 28 pounds a month. So it's like, oh, actually, does your product suddenly fit better into that? Do you have a subscription service where you deliver something to someone, to someone every month? Do you have something where people are on some form of Patreon thing where they pay this amount every month to get this kind of content? 
And then also, mm. if you've got a different kind of business that is maybe if you can distribute to people weekly, maybe you've got a food delivery service or something that is a weekly event that happens, even if you've got a gig night or something that people come to, some form of event, if you can make people pay £7 a week for that or to make £7 profit on those things every week, if you've got that 150 people who are prepared to pay £7 a week, you've suddenly hit 50,000. And then that's the kind of thing we're all aiming for. Then you're suddenly above the average of London which means that you can go and have a nice, comfortable life. I think we don't need to aim for this like huge, oh, I want to earn a million pounds in a year. It's kind of setting ourselves up for, well, what's realistic as a creative and how can we realistically go about that? Yeah, we've, we've just done our episode with Sam Conniff, which we got so much feedback from you guys on that episode. So if you haven't listened to it, do go and listen to it. And one of the things he, he spoke about there was the, was the fear and the fog and the stasis. And I think one of the one of the parts is as you go into your creative career, there's certainly there's definitely the fear of the unknown and the uncertain. Um, but the fog and a lot of the fog comes around not knowing where your next paycheck yeah. is going to come from. And also, I think most people not knowing how much they they need. Um, and obviously, Adam's Adam is the maths brain of this duo. So thanks for for doing that calculation there. But like how how calming that feels to know that okay i only need to make seven pounds profit from 150 people per week in order to make 50 grand a year when you break it down like that that does sound a lot more achievable than these sort of these big grandiose goals that that a lot of people have so ad you just mentioned that someone's selling food and i think that's that's obviously like it's not a high price ticket item but if we can get our seven pound profit so work out all of your expenses in there. You've got to get yourself 150 clients, which is going to take a lot of work. But once you've got that number, if you're charging them, say, £12 a week for whatever it is that you're delivering them, then you know that you're absolutely plain sailing. And the the Dunbar theory is very interesting, that our brain only recognises 150 faces and, and those are the, are the people. So by then taking it into those are the relationships that we're going to be building. We're going to aim for that 150. I feel like you could write an essay where you combine it with the 1,000 true fans theory by Kevin Kelly. Because I think once you have got those 1,000 true fans, those people that are truly like interacting with you and they're following you and they're passionate about what you do, that probably filters down to that 150 people that you actually have the real relationships with that you're, are your regular clients. And people talk and people in I, like I've seen it with my work people introducing their friends into like bringing them to my show yeah. or buying them a print or whatever it might be that way so um so your 150 is it's going to benefit you so much to have that 150 core because that's then going to spread out and that's going to um, inform your 1000 true fans are getting 150 true fans or people who you can have relationships with that's quite a daunting task to go out today and be like I need to find 150 people who I can start a relationship with. Obviously, isn't going to happen unless you are the most social, brilliant person in the world. Uh, even then, to find 150 people in a room who are all willing to talk about the same thing at the moment is still quite difficult. Um, so it's, I think this is something that we we build over time. And it's not something that's going to happen tomorrow. It's something that if you, for the next three years, just got 50, like one a week, that effectively comes to. If you could make one relationship a week for the next three years, that's your 150. And I think this ties nicely into when we talk about the three-year rule and that kind of thing. If you can make the effort to build one relationship a week so it becomes a habit for you to go and start relationships, you're going to be, like, firstly, better off because you've got all these relationships. But 
that after you've been doing that for a few weeks or a few months, your confidence in building new relationships is going to grow so much that I think going forward from there, getting the second half of the 150 is going to feel so easy because you've got so much confidence from the first half. Yeah, and I think this has always been such a difficult question for us because what people charge for things is it wildly varies and it varies across industries as well which is which is the really interesting thing so so there are public speakers in certain sectors that can only charge a small amount whereas there are public speakers in other sectors where there's huge budgets to bring those speakers in and they can charge 10 times more so i think the good thing about working on this theory is we know that 150 we know that that 7 pounds profit is for for the low end and it's about knowing your industry knowing your worth at charging your worth and then that number is probably going to be smaller than 150 for most people because i think we're only we're only talking about that seven pounds profit per week from 150 people for for i mean food i can't really think of many other industries where it's going to be that if you think i I know we're really popular in the jewelry community uh ella stern and mood good jewelry have always been like posting about our podcast which has then helped that get into that space so we, i know we have a load of people that make jewelry that, that follow us your number is going to be a lot less than 150 people because you're going to be able to charge 100 pounds for a ring or 500 pounds for a necklace or whatever it may be so you're going to be able to do your maths on like how many clients that you do actually need to get to that stage and i suppose it's, it's understanding your clients as well it's understanding how many times they're going to need to buy your product every year if you've got something that literally only buy once a year, then you you can't charge less than three hundred and thirty three pounds for it, and that's three hundred thirty three that's three hundred and thirty three pounds profit. Like you just can't if you want to turn that into a career. Like this is something what we need to get into our heads. But if you sell something that if you know that your clients come back to you every three months, so you can sell them four times in a year, then suddenly oh your product can be a hundred pounds because you know that that's going to kind of come through. But yeah, it's understanding who they are and how often they come back. Because yeah, if they only come back once a year or once every two years, then you kind of need to readjust your pricing based on that. And I think this is where so many problems with creatives happen, where they just don't charge enough for that. And they're not getting the money they need to come through. And then they have to end up quitting their creative endeavor to go and work somewhere else because that's more of a consistent income. I also think that everyone should be looking at what are the alternative revenue streams in their industry because as we've spoken about before if you do dedicate three years to whatever your craft is you are going to be more of an expert than other people so where are their opportunities like can you run workshops can you be making your seven pound profit per head um to to a group of people every month and that and that forms part of your income can you be doing uh zoom coaching with people can you be giving talks uh, in different spaces can you be doing a university tour around the country letting students know about about your career or what like whatever it might be where are the other things because i think everyone gets so caught up in we talk about the tree trunk analogy and they're just focusing on that that trunk when we get to the branches there's other opportunities to bring in extra cash and I think that's that's such a useful thing to have because then you've got contingency for anything that goes wrong. If all of a sudden one of your customers unsubscribes from your Patreon, there's a gap there. And 
and you've got you've got to fill it with something. So if we've got these buffer, these other streams that can be relied on. So look at all the different things that you offer as an expert and, and work out how you can provide value to people in other ways that's going to re- result in extra income for you guys. Yeah, because that's thing that we've always done in our business. Like at Graffiti Life, our, we've got three main things that we offer. We offer murals, uh, painting on someone's wall or whatever. Um, we've got live art, like doing things at events. And then we've also got workshops of where people come to us and we teach them. By having those different streams within your business that all link back to the same thing, they're all doing the thing that you do. But then it suddenly doesn't put the pressure all on one area. So if we break that down even further from the 150 and break it down to three sets of 50 people, then you've got your 50 people who are going to buy your big high ticket item once a year for £333 at least. Uh, and then we break that down to the second set of 50 people who are other people who are going to pay £28 a month for something. So if that was kind of you had like exclusive drops or like something smaller that kind of came out every month that people got excited about and they can maybe collect or something along those lines. And then your £7 a week could be events or workshops that you run. So if you did weekly events and you've got 50 people who come to them and all of those people are paying £7, we are making £7 profit of each of those people, then suddenly you've got your whole 50 grand across those three different areas. And I think what's also useful to do is remember that the people who are willing to pay £7 a week now might also lead on to be willing to pay £333 for your high ticket item once a year anyway. So it's almost like using it as a bit of like a funnel. So you're going to kind of get people in on the more affordable thing where they feel like they're only paying £7 a week for it. But then those people could then lead on to the £333 a year, which is going to sustain you in a much simpler way because you have to make so much less products. And I definitely remember talking to Amrit about like getting customers into your ecosystem and having an entry-level product. So it was what, she, what you mentioned there, having that entry-level product. And what Amrit said through lots of experimentation that he's done with diff- like putting out different price stuff, he says £80 is a really magic number. So he does prints that are the access level prints and they're 80 quid. And what he finds is that so many people who have bought an 80 pound print, they've hung it in their house. They've got pleasure from it. Goes back to experiences that we've spoken about before. They've experienced something with that artwork. They look at it every day. It's a constant billboard for your work every day. And then they go, do you know what? Actually, I think this Christmas or this special occasion, I'm going to invest that little bit more and I'm going to go for either an original or one of the more expensive prints. I'm going to spend like maybe 330 quid on a print or I'm going to buy an original for 3,300 just to keep it within Adam's brilliant maths. And so I, I think there's definitely something to be said for the having the affordable stuff that gets that gets people interested in your work um, and, and builds, their, builds their kind of loyalty and their, um, their investment in you. It's like they, yeah. that, that's their first kind of sign that they're like, I believe in this person. And I think as well, like growing up, if you can get people when they're a bit younger as well, like growing up, I remember the artists I followed, the artists I loved, that I couldn't afford their work because I was younger and didn't have any money. But what I could do is I could mm-hmm. afford a print or I could go on the internet and just download a piece of paper and stick it on my bedroom wall because I just had no money. And it's, but it's like now when you get to a stage where you can afford to buy something, like if I wanted to buy something to hang in my house, I would be like, oh, if I can, I want to try and get like an original because I'm now at the stage where I can do that because I've been invested in that person for so long. So even like if someone buys something that's affordable now, there's a good chance that if that's hung in their house, then in the future, they are way more willing to buy something when you put out an original piece because like as people's lives go on, 
generally their income kind of like grows to match that as they kind of get further in their careers. So by having something that is affordable, yes, you might have not have a customer now, but then a creative journey is a long time. Like we're going to be doing this for as, until we're dead. So we're going to keep going with that. And yeah, having those kind of like little entry level pricing that allows them to still be part of your ecosystem, to still feel a part of your community, I think is really important. I relate to so much that you're saying and it's making me as we're having this conversation in real time it's making me realize like how scattergun i am with my career and how like just not planned out with any of this i am um which is sort of an interesting uh reflection for me because on this show we're always going to be honest and i don't want to bring across the the um I mean, you are a lot more organized than I am. And I don't want to sort of put the thing out there of like, yeah, I've got this plan and I've got my 150 planned out. Like, This is the first I'm hearing of, of the 150. Like I'm making it work, but it's it's hearing it like laid out like this is actually really helpful to me. We were talking last week about the the three years and how that's that's sort of your magic amount of time and how I was able to do it so much quicker. As soon as the pandemic kicked in, we monetized the podcast straight away. We reached out to Adobe that we've done previous events with and did a huge series of them. And that money uh, freed us up to kind of start our careers without worrying about where our income was coming from. Uh, so I think it's really important that everyone, as we are talking about money, like your survival is the most important thing. And I think this this whole starving artist thing very romantic in the movies but it's not really a reality that we want any of you guys to go through like make sure like if you need to get a side job get a side job and there's no kind of shame in working somewhere else get making sure the bills are paid and doing this on the side and then you've got and then it's the the absolute classic hard thing of coming home from of uh, an exhausting day's work and then working on the side thing following through putting all of the hard work in in your spare time and your weekends and your evenings and sacrificing going out with your mates and sacrificing all of the pleasures and watching Netflix and seeing your family and all of those things in order to build up this career that gradually as we've spoken to so many creatives none of like so few of them just dive straight in so many of them had this planned like gradual let me drop my hours down let me go to four days a week let me go go to weekend work um, as they gradually build up their 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 creative income. Yeah, and I think I think that idea of having a, a side job is really good, especially at the start, or having making sure there's some income that comes in to pay your bills. Because I think as soon as that's covered, then suddenly there's less pressure on your creativity, there's less pressure on your art. And that needs to be what people think about first, I think, before anything, is making sure that their general life is covered first. Because it's like if if your life, like some we when we first started our business, it was literally all on the creativity. And that made it so hard. Whereas actually if we'd have probably put time into just like working three hours a day somewhere to just get enough to just pay the rent, to just get basic food, then it would have given us so much more time and less stress on actually this has to work otherwise we're absolutely fucked. Whereas, yeah, mm. I think it would be definitely recommended to even just working two days a week somewhere. If you work two days a week somewhere, that's probably enough like if you're a younger person you don't have kind of a family mortgage all those kind of things to pay to just sustain your basic income like do that like find a way to because i work with so many like dancers and performers and most people have a side job most people especially like actors everyone kind of like thinks about actors especially like in la and things like that all working in kind of like bars coffee shops those kind of things because that's what you need to do to survive like 
yes at some point you will get there and it will be able to be sustained by your just just by your creativity but to start with that's not going to be the case it's going to be a build-up like we were talking earlier about if you can make one connection a week so if you work out well in those first six months there's not going to be enough money there to sustain it so how can you make sure that in your life there is still some form of income coming in like if you can like there's so many different ways we've talked about before about how to kind of like try and save money and basically cut back on things and work out what it is you actually need and i think when it comes to anything that you spend it's making sure that the things you spend are investments in your future is by spending money on this thing going to bring me more money in the future or is it just because it's nice to have now especially when you get started like the amount of like drinks we didn't go out for the amount of dinners we didn't go out for because it's like those things you go and consume and then they're just gone forever unless you're a food blogger and you go and take pictures of those food and like you have some way to turn that into what could potentially be profit I think this is something that we really need to think about if we're struggling with money is it's like by buying this thing is it going to make me more money like I'm really struggling at the moment with all the MacBook Pros have just come out and I'm like I want those so bad and I've put one in my basket about four times and I've stopped myself because I'm like is it going to make me more money and currently it's no it's like it gives me the chance that maybe one day I could do something but I think this is me thinking about this future version of myself which has way more time than the current version of myself does and unfortunately as much as we kind of like will for the future one thing we can't create is more time Uh, because I've got all these grand ideas all these like things I'd like to do but then there's another product that I'm thinking of buying and I'm like well actually that could earn me more money but I don't want it as much as this new shiny new MacBook Pro that's just come out and it's kind of like making sure that actually I'm not spending money on things that aren't an investment and making sure that the things that you spend going forward are something that can make you more money because I think that is as a creative it is so important there's basically like three things that I think are the most important things for a creative that's money because without that we can't sustain anything the work because the work is everything we need to focus all of our time and trying to become the best that we can possibly do and then connection with other people I think if you've got those three things you've got a really nice like foundation for a creative but without one of yeah. them it like it's your three-legged stool an idea it's going to topple like if you've only got two it's going to fall over and it's making sure that with the money the work and the connection are we missing out on any, any of those and is there a way that we can help strengthen that in our foundations yeah i i really think that's one of the most important things that you've ever said um I, I think one of the one of the best things I ever heard was the best way to save money is to spend less money. And Apple are such geniuses at creating that that experience and wanting us to for for us, especially as creatives. I think Apple has always, ever since the nineteen eighties, has always been like, "Oh, you're creative. You use Apple products." Um, and yes, that shine. They're so self aware of you, knowing that yes, that shiny macbook would would give me this amount of status and and it would be lovely but you know through doing the show long enough you know about the hedonic set point that after a while that's just going to become the norm uh, and i think that's that's really smart of you man that um i think it's something that i've i've been through massively over the past couple of years and i suppose i mean we are getting um older where kind of status is less important from us in terms of the physical products that we own and what we're kind of com- communicating outward to the world with that. I think the key episode for me was when we spoke to Dilly D Clutter and she was talking about 
looking around your house and seeing money. And I, I always thought that was so interesting because I, I would look at all of this clutter and everything around my house that at one point wasn't there. And then I exchanged money for it. And it's just now money that sat there. And so now for me, like stopping spending that cash before it gets to the stage where it's all like piled up in my spare bedroom. And I guess it comes down to the the idea of like what is happiness and what is pleasure. And happiness is sort of that 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 deep fulfillment of something that we feel through, like having a creative career, loving the people around us and all of that sort of stuff. And then pleasure comes from the things that we buy. And pleasure is really great, but it doesn't last forever. And when you look at something and you've owned it for a while, it doesn't bring you a lot of times it doesn't bring you the same joy as it did when you first bought it out of its packet and it was it was shiny. It's like I look at how I treat a phone for the first like two or three months that I own it. I'm very careful with it, kid gloves, and I'm polishing the screen and whatever. And then six months in, I'm like dropping it on the floor and, and like kicking it around. And just I care about it so much less because it's not new anymore. And that's such a stupid human trait that is programmed into us because we're we're programmed for newness because that was what kept us alive on the savannah when we saw berries and we were like, oh, new and exciting. Pick the berries, hunter gatherer it, and then walk on. Oh, there's something else new. Go and grab that because it might be useful. And that's what's deeply ingrained into our, our cave brain survival system. But if we can get around that and if we can look at, yes, um, every time I go on the Nike sneakers app and it says you failed, in getting this thing that's priming me for wanting to win next time and they've gamified it and I want to get the sneakers because I want the the thrill of of buying it or if I go on eBay and and I win an auction where I'm frantically bidding against other people and I put in more money than I should to to gain something it's as soon as we learn that that this is dopamine and adrenaline and all of these chemicals that are fucking with us if we can get ourselves over that and go do you really need the brand new fucking watch to impress your buddies down the pub. Do you like? Do you really need it? Is that going to make the boat go faster? Um, and I feel like once you get into the into the stage where you've got disposable income, then buy yourself some pleasure, have fun with it, but don't sabotage your long term career by these short little wins now. Like if you've been at this for ten years and you've made loads, loads of cash and you can afford to move to a bigger place or whatever it might be, or you can afford that car that you've always wanted, that you've always coveted for years and years, then do it. But if it's just a thing that's not going to get you to the next stage, like, like you said, like is, the, is this an investment? And for you currently, buying that MacBook is not an investment. Then, like, then you don't need it because you know that that money, you're going to be able to use it to the things that are going to get you to the next step. And I think, I think for, for us, like building the business, it was always, we were always looking at the future. We we're mm-hmm. never t- thinking about the short term wins. And it's like, I've spoken about this before, but like about the money that I'm owed from the beginning of graffiti life that I put into the business, because I was always like, at some point I'll be able to take that back. And then I never ended up taking it back. And now I don't care about it. And it's gone and I forget about it. It's like doing that is going to get you where you want to go much faster than having the new fucking wallet or whatever it is that you're looking at at the moment that's in your shopping basket. Yeah, and I think we talk a lot about status on this show and I think what we kind of need to reframe in our minds is make sure that we, the status that we gain is from the skills that we have and not the things that we have. 
because I think it's so much better to be known for being the expert at that rather than being known for the person who's got those great things. I think we see it so much with like reality TV, celebrity, where, oh, this celebrity's got this great thing or they've been on this TV show. And then people will say all the time, like, yeah, but what's their talent? They've got famous for like no reason. They've just kind of basically paid for it. And this is the mentality we need to have with everything we do. It's like, are you buying something that's going to kind of bring you status just because you look good, which is going to be a really short term thing because you look good right now, but the trends are going to change. And in a week's time, the new thing's going to come out and you need to try and keep up with that. Or you can invest in something that may not make you really cool tomorrow, but by investing that thing, but by investing in the skill that's going to be really long term, like further down the line, you're going to be an absolute expert at something that people are going to respect you and love what you do because of that. And it's not this kind of like quick win. It is that kind of short term versus long term mentality of like, do I want to look cool right now? Or am I prepared to put in more work? So in the future, I've got such a better life built around me. And I think it's really interesting that you mentioned there your your future self, because we I think that's something that we all need to work on is is working out what that future self is, because I can tell myself I'm going to do X, Y, and Z, and that it, it very rarely happens. And I think it's good to have sort of a a realistic view of what is possible, working on your habits to to get to those stages. And rather and basically rather rather than buying all of this silly shit that we don't need, it's in it's investing in yourself. So investing in your skills, investing in your learning, investing in your experiences that are going to make you a more rounded creative that's going to make you be able to produce better work. Yeah. And I think talking about investment as well, like obviously I think most people's minds just goes to money. But I think time is the most valuable thing that we have. And it's what you invest your time into. It's like, are you investing your time into silly things that aren't going to lead to anything in the future? Or you're investing your time into something that could potentially lead to something going forwards. I think this is something that I was thinking about recently is like so many things that have been the best parts of what my kind of creative journey have been over the past year and a half have been complete accidents. And that's only because I've like thrown myself into so many different situations where there's potential for things to happen that those happy accidents will happen. And it's like, I'm spending my time, like sometimes you'll be doing things and you think like, is this benefiting the future? But like, yes, it is because I'm doing the craft, I'm building the skill. And I think skills are those things that we can build over time, the things that never leave us. As long as we continually practice them, like if you've not ridden a bike for 10 years, you can get back on, you might be a bit wobbly the first day, but by the second day, you'll be at full kind of speed again. And it's those things that it is. And it's those things that we do need to spend more time on thinking about, well, in the future, what will what can I do now that's going to benefit that person even if you're not like this is definitely going to benefit them but this could benefit that person because there's a good chance that even if you can't nail something down and be like this this specific thing I do now is going to lead to this specific thing happening in like 10 years because we can't predict the future and it's the future is probably not going to go the way we think it is anyway but just giving ourselves that option So it's like, if you've got that little bit of time somewhere where you're like, oh, I could just sit and watch, I'm on the train. I could sit and watch Netflix. I could download something from somewhere and watch something. I could listen to some music or I could invest that time into listening to a podcast, listening to a book, listening to something that someone might say something that unlocks me. We get so much feedback on the show where someone just responds like, this thing unlocked me. This one sentence you said hit me at the exact right time. And I think it's that right time 
which we never know when it's going to happen. Like you can be, it just takes some thought you have and something in the real world to connect at the exact right time. A lot of people would call that luck. But if you're not listening to that thing at the time for that to happen, you're just, you're destroying the chance for luck to even happen. The amount of times I'll have little brainwaves, I'm like, oh my God, that thing that person just said relates to something that I talked to someone earlier about, which now I put the two and two together and it's really made me understand something so much deeper. And it's those connections that we need to focus on. It's like, is this, is by doing this thing now going to give me the chance for a better future? Or is it just going to be something that is going to kind of like disappear and be forgotten about in a week or two hours time? So yeah, if if time is all we have, what what can we do now that is going to benefit our future self? What is going to pay off further down the line? And what feels good in the moment is very rarely the stuff that actually does end up benefiting us, which is like annoying, but it's it is normally that that hard work, that graft, the the difficult things that further down the line do pay off. And if, and I think if we if we wrap it back round to to money, uh, or like I've seen people write online fun tokens, which is a really like good way to like take the seriousness out of money. It's like all it does is just buy you fun. It buys you freedom. It buys you time. I, I think the chase of the money can be really destructive, um, and obviously because it's one of our most asked questions, and it's the reason that we're doing this episode is something that is really important and something that we do need to think about but i think letting it consume you can be really really toxic really really negative and why are you letting it consume you is it just so that you can buy nice stuff that's not going to last forever and is going to clutter up your wardrobe and your living room and your bathroom and where wherever you put all of this stuff that you consume and you collect um or is it going to be stuff that is going to really like bring you pure pleasure and joy and fun investing your time into the stuff that's going to free up more time in the future that's going to bring you more freedom yeah i think that's a really nice way to think about it. it's like what can you do now what hour can you spend now which could potentially give you 10 hours in the future it reminds me of this metaphor that i heard the other day that was talking about kind of like how rockets get into space and it's that initial kind of like huge amounts of energy are used to get it out of the atmosphere into space. And it's that's the time when it's really hard and you've got to really focus, but you've got to put all that energy into it. Because once you get out the other side, you're in space. So you're like floating around and it's all nice and things seem so much easier once you've kind of like broken through the atmosphere. But it does take so much time and investment to get there. And I think if you're spending your money, you're spending your time in places that aren't fueling that rocket, your rocket's not going to break out of the atmosphere, which I think is where most people get stuck in is where most people stop because they've wasted their fuel elsewhere. Whereas if you just commit to something for a certain amount of time, normally three years, give it, put all the fuel into that, that's going to get you out of the atmosphere into the place that you want to be, assuming you want to be in space. To the moon. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>